You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 51 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchot, and this is the show for November 2017. As usual, I am joined by a fantastic panel from all over the world, although there is definitely a slight bias towards the British Isles in this show. Um, first off, in no particular order, uh, we have Elaine Giles back with us again. Hi, Elaine. Hello. Good to be back. We are. T- well, I'm delighted to have you, and I'm sure I speak for everyone. Um, it's... Uh, I always enjoy having you on, and it, it only happens sometimes, so it's a treat, and we enjoy it. Thank you. Treat to be here. Back for his second time, so we clearly didn't completely scare him away, we have uh, Simon Parnell from Essential Apple. Hi, Simon. Hello, Bart. Well, welcome back for take two. Um, as I say, we obviously yes. didn't scare you too much. No, no. Okay, good stuff. And then representing... The entirety of the rest of the world. We have be Guy Searle from the My very, Podcast. Hello, Bart. How are you? I am good. It's been a while since we've had your voice, actually. We've had a lot of Gaz. So I feel like I've had a lot of half of Guy and Gaz, but I haven't had this half of Guy <laughs> and Gaz. So it's... Well, the, um, the you know, there's a couple things going on right now. We're almost to our 400th show. Oh, wow. Congrats. So um, this, probably after we record this, we'll be doing our 399th show. And this is our 399th show together. It's actually My Mac Podcast 684. So, you know, you can do the math and all the rest of that. But, yeah, we're, we're planning something just huge and exciting and, and thrilling for the 400th show. That's about and eight just, years of podcasting. It's about 50 yeah. shows a year. Nice. Yeah, well, it was like uh, 2009, 2010, I think, is when we started. Sweet. Excellent. Well, you're definitely not pod fading. No, no. Oh, great. No, seriously, congrats. That is that is Thank impressive. You. That is genuinely impressive. Now, usually, as we get near the end of the year, I start to have trouble putting together show notes because nothing happened. Well, my goodness me, the, the news gods were not playing that way. I have. It's been a long time since I've had so much work to edit down my show notes and even edited down they've ended up being pretty darn long so i suggest we get stuck straight in i didn't bother with any notable numbers because there was just too much news so jumping straight to legal latest and i'm going to be very quick through these it's just to keep you updated uh, last time we met samsung they were appealing their loss to apple to the u.s supreme court the u.s supreme court has decided it will not hear that case so that is the end of that particular well no it's not quite the end. It's been handed back down to a lower court to redecide on some stuff. Oh, so yeah, it's not going any higher, but it is on its way back down to a lower court where hopefully it'll wrap up at some stage. Um, and then, as I say, as Samsung v Apple is ramping down, Samsung v Qualcomm is definitely in the opposite phase. It is definitely still ramping up. You mean Apple versus Qualcomm? What did I say? You said Samsung. No, I definitely meant Apple. Yeah. Okay, that's what I think. Thank you. Um, so Apple have countersued Qualcomm. So Qualcomm say Apple are infringing their patents regarding uh, controlling the CPU's use of battery. And Apple say, why, no, you are in fact infringing on our eight patents on this particular topic. So he said, she said, yada, yada, yada. This one has a long way to run. We will be talking about it for many, many years to come. 
The scary yes. thing, actually, so this is episode 51 of a monthly show. And when this show started, the Apple v. Samsung case was old news that was already annoying me by the fact that it hadn't finished yet. And we're now 51 <laughs> months on, and it is still not finished yet. So this Qualcomm thing could go for some time, too. Um, in terms of notable staffing change at Apple, just one story caught my eye this month. Um, rather strangely, um, back in May, Apple made news by appointing a vice president of uh, diversity and inclusion, which was the first time that role had been a VP role. And um, Denise uh, Young-Smith had taken that role. And she is leaving for Cornell University. And she's being replaced by Christy Smith, who was formerly from Deloitte. Uh, who will be assuming that role, and it's still a VP role. So it's strange to see that role sort of rotate so quickly, but I guess at least they have someone to fill it again. Well, there's been, I mean, there's a, a number of things happened while she was there. Uh, I guess the most notable was she said something, about, I, I wish I had the quote here, but the quote isn't in the in the link that you have, something about that, you know, even, even a, a uh, a room full of of all white men can be considered, you know, diverse or something along those lines. And, and people were like, I guess, professionally outraged or, you know, I mean, oh. people get out in almost anything these days. And I mean, she it was, you know, unfortunately, she not only was she misquoted, but she was misunderstood by oh. what it was she was actually trying to say. And uh, it's too bad, but I kind of understand why she's probably decided to uh, to accept another position because it's it, it's a, it's a thankless role these days. I, I can't mm. see how, you know, you're in a position where no matter what you say, no matter what you do, someone is going to be slamming you. Some group is going to be unhappy about what it is you've done or what it is you've said. Right. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's it's pretty much inevitable. And as, as 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 a gay white man, I can say that absolutely I can be part of a, a diversity thing. Like sure. Yeah, I've often felt very much in a minority in a room full of white people even though technically if you look purely superficially, I look like, you know, a privileged white person, but it's not always as straightforward as that. So I guess that's what she was sort of saying and trying to say, but yeah, you know, it's quite the difference between George W. Bush and Bernie Sanders. And they're both, you know, white men of the same generation. That's quite diverse. Anyway, that's I'm now making all the same mistakes she did, so now I'm going to get all the cranky emails. Thankfully, I'm not ahead of diversity and inclusion. Well, you are of uh, Let's Talk Apple. I guess, uh, since I am everything at Let's Talk Apple, I can have every single title in the world. Exactly. Okay, well, I'm going to move us into the first of our four main stories for the month, um, which is early in the month, there was a thing called the Paradise Papers. And apparently the weather must be really good in the Channel Islands if that gets counted as the Paradise Papers, but that's neither here nor there. And one of the things that make a lot of news was that Apple was mentioned in some of these leaked papers because they had asked for some lawyers as to which country it would be best to set themselves up in for a tax reasons. And uh, Jersey won. So Jersey is one of the Channel Islands. They are very difficult to explain to non-British people and perhaps even to British people because they are sort of in the e- in the UK, but they're not in the EU. And it's excruciatingly confusing. The Queen is definitely their Queen, but they're not quite under British law in the normal sense of the word, so they can be a tax haven. It's excruciatingly complicated, but they're basically between France and the UK in the, in, in that sort of neck of the water. And they have very interesting tax laws and... 
Apple were told that would be the best place to go, and they did. So at no point is anyone claiming Apple broke any laws. And um, there's a lot of backstory here which doesn't quite make the media because it's just not sexy. Um, so I guess the first thing to say is Apple, Apple have responded. So they, there is a post linked in the show notes where Apple give their side of the story. So that is in the show notes and definitely want people to, to know that's there. Sorry, sorry, Guy. Oh, no, I was just saying it because the reason why it's not sexy is it doesn't fit someone's particular agenda. Right, yes. So being in Ireland, I sort of feel I had to do a bit of extra homework in this story. And also I feel like I'm slightly... I'm in the, the epicenter of all of this because ultimately Apple's international operations are based here. And it was possible due to a quirk of Irish law that you could be resident in Ireland for legal purposes but not resident here for tax purposes. And therefore, your company could, in fact, be homeless when it comes to tax purposes. You could have a legally vested corporation which had, which which paid tax to no nation, which is why people loved setting up here in Ireland. And Ireland changed the law and said that every Irish company must be tax resident somewhere. It doesn't have to be Ireland, but you have to be tax resident somewhere. So Apple were literally forced to pick a country. So the Irish government said, Apple and everyone like you, which is an awful, awful lot of American companies, and not just American companies, an awful lot of companies. And so they had to pick a country. And of course they asked for advice. I mean, you would be sued by your shareholders if you didn't ask for advice. So of course they asked for advice, and they took that advice. What corporation wouldn't do that? So to me, there's no story here. They didn't break the law. What they actually did was proper corporate governance. And if you think that the law is deeply unfair, and I would suggest you are entirely correct, your issue is with the lawmakers, not with the companies who have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders to pay as little tax as the law allows. That is literally their duty. If you do not do that, you can and probably will be sued by your shareholders. To say that Apple is at fault here is insane. And to, to, to single Apple out over the thousands of other corporations doing exactly the same completely legal thing is just clickbait. And it made me excruciatingly cranky that no one bothered their backside to tell the story properly. Well, again, it, it just no. depends on it's, you know, what 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 is the message that you're trying to put out? And mm. for a lot of people, it's like, well, look at all the money that these companies make and they're not sharing it with anyone else. It's like, okay, you know, this, this is, this is ridiculous and you need to find something else to get cranky about. Not you, but you know, yep. all these other people. Yeah. Oh no, I think, I mean, if you feel well, that tax laws are unjust, you should be canvassing right. your lawmakers because they exactly. make the law. That's, that's why they're called lawmakers. Exactly. I mean, I, I, there's been a lot of stuff, hasn't there, recently, particularly in the UK, about um, you know tax loopholes and how people can move their money to Jersey or the uh, Isle of Man or various mm. other places. Um, and, and there's been all this furore about, oh, how dare they do that? And it's wrong and it's immoral. Well, no, it's not. The problem yeah. is the loopholes. Yeah. You know, complain to the complain to Parliament. And tell them to shut the loopholes. It's not the fault of people who are doing perfectly legal things to reduce their tax burden. 
if I had enough money that I had, you know, that I had uh, the option of doing such a thing, I would most certainly do it, as long as it was legal. Right, look, I'll put my own cards (laughs) on the table here. I choose to pay an accountant to file my taxes for me, because an accountant knows an awful, awful lot more about the law than I do. And the way it works is I pay him a certain sum of money, and he gets me a tax rebate that is more than the amount of money I pay him. Therefore, I make a profit by employing an accountant. I do Precisely. that. Why on earth would a corporation not do that? Well, of course they're going to do that. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, we. I think we're all agreed. The problem is the loophole. It's oh. it's the the governance who need to you know whether it be the EU or the UK or America sort your bloody tax system out. Yep. And there's a certain amount of international work has to be done, right? The, the 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 governments need to get together internationally to iron out some things. And in fact, they have been, right? Because why were Apple forced to pick a country? The answer is because under pressure from foreign governments, Ireland changed its laws. So Apple went from being tax resident nowhere to being tax resident in a particularly friendly country, Jersey. But that is actually progress because... When you could get away with basically having no home, being a citizen of the of sort of the, the deep ocean or something, I don't know. Yeah, stateless. Stateless. <laughs> yeah, stateless. Yeah, I mean, stateless. it's progress, right? And a lot of these quote-unquote tax havens are, they are being tightened down on. Like, um, you know, there, there is change happening and maybe it's happening too slowly and I'm certainly not going to say that isn't true. But it is, there is stuff happening. But to me, there is a special place in hell for politicians who make hay out of criticizing Apple when actually what they are doing is deflecting from the fact that they are failing completely at their job. They are the lawmakers. Yep. Totally. Totally agree with that. That, That's usually how I sum it up. (laughs) Reminds me of Groundhog Day, this, because the last time I was on, it was September last year, and we had exactly the same story. And that we came to exactly you, the same it? conclusion. It was. It was when they were having a go at Ireland. And yeah. we said that it, it, it was a moral issue and, and they were trying to hold Apple because they're a known brand, a very well-known brand, to a higher standard. And it was more to do with morality than it was tax. And we also said it was a global problem and that while you can declare yourself resident in one country over another country, you know, you've know, got the countries fighting with each other for where they would like people to be resident. You know, well, we'll have Apple and, you know, making it advantageous for them to register there nothing's going to change until there is a global pressure and whether morality comes into it or not depends on your own personal perspective doesn't it well ultimately i would say the corporations are not immoral or moral they're amoral because they're not people contrary to what certain no it's it's the press and whoever is reporting this who is yeah, they're not actually using. They're not saying it, it's a moral standard, but you know, by implication, they are. You're not paying your taxes. They've not actually said it's illegal, but the implication is there that they leave it in the air. And mm. I think a lot of people who read these stories, they are not tax experts. They're taking from it um, a top level headline, which is Apple taxes didn't pay. Mm. Yeah. Okay, and that's all they take from it. They don't deep dive it as you've done and understand it. They have no inclination to understand it. So I think it's it's. Oh, should we say it's fake news? <laughs> it's not fake yeah. news, but it is. It's a higher level. Just let's mention it, and then people will run with it. And they're not deep diving it. They're not seeking to understand it, and that's why progress is so slow. Right? Yeah, and it's to some extent there are people with a vested interest here who who don't want to change, and it's in their interest to complicate things as much as possible. And they certainly seem to have done quite well because tax law is quite complicated. 
it is, and it's also following on from the other story about the Supreme Court and Samsung, and you you saying that you know it's been however many years. Mm. It will be. It's like John Dice and John Dice. The lawyers are making money out of it. It's the lawyers who was advising them to carry on with the case. Who was advising them to bring the case? Oh, that would be the lawyers. So it will. It's just never ending. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think in the case of Samsung and Apple, that they they both have their own teams of lawyers that are going to get paid no matter you know whether that case continues on or not. Sure. Yeah, they have literally a, a department of in-house lawyers, so they, they they need some they need someone to litigate against. I guess I feel sorry for poor Judge Co in the Samsung case. Like she is seriously, she's she's let a few things out recently where it's quite clear that she's quite fed up of having those same defendants in her courtroom over and over and over again. But isn't isn't it like a large part of it her own fault? Well, I don't know because she has to hear this case, right? She doesn't get to choose. Same judge that that was um, presiding over uh, the Apple Books case. Was it? I don't. I know she's done a few Apple-rated cases. I, I don't remember which other one she did. So maybe, but I don't think so somehow. I don't think that was in Signed a friend of hers to, to be the arbitrator of whether or not Apple is is you know following her no, judgment. I don't think that was Judge Coe because I like Judge Coe. And I don't like the judge who did that sloppy thing, whose name I now can't remember. Maybe okay. I'm wrong. I, I, I don't quote me on it, but I don't think that I don't think Judge Coe was in the e-books case. I think that was on the East Coast, whereas Judge Coe was in California. I could be I, wrong, though, so um, hmm, I have to go look that up. However, I'm going to move us into our second story. So it has not been a good month for Apple from a software reliability point of view. So it started off just being a little bit embarrassing, but it went downhill fast by the end of the month. So... Everyone had a really good laugh at the fact that the iPhone lost its ability to type the letter I. Because it would auto-replace it with the letter A and a weird Unicode symbol. And it was a great big meme that made it onto all the talk shows. And it was absolutely hilarious and, well, deeply annoying for anyone affected by the bug. Um, but it got fixed. Apple pushed out a software update and that was that. And that was that was embarrassing, but okay, not the end of the world. And then... In the last last week, then, some people are reporting that it, as in IT, is being replaced with capital I dot capital T dot, as in information technology abbreviated. Now, I work in IT, so maybe I find it slightly fascinating that I'm now, my career is now all over the place. But I'm not sure I want my iPhone bringing my job into everything I type. So again, a bit of a weird one, and it seems that their AI is not being very good at learning. It seems to be what's going on. But, um, ah, yes, okay, so just uh, we can back up to the previous story. Guy has just popped into the chat. It was Judge Coat, not Judge Co, which I could see how we could get those confused. It was East Coast. It was, it was uh, Judge in New York. Yeah, it was, okay, so I was right. It was on the East Coast. I, I, I think we had an awful big argument whether it was Coat or Cote or how you were supposed to pronounce it, but I did not like that judge because it was pretty slimy appointing your friend. Yeah, yeah. I, I have several names for her. I thought that was a, I thought that was a chap. No, it is not because it's Judge Denise Cote or yep. Cote or yeah, yeah, you're right. I remember being on your show talking about that actually. Yeah, we we, yeah. we were not her fan. That is that is very true. Anyway, at the end of the month, then things really went downhill for Apple in terms of their software. This was on the Mac. Um, 
So if you, when asked in the control panel to enter your password to unlock a, a sensitive uh, control panel bit, if you typed the username root and hit and put in no password and hit enter, rather than failing to authenticate you, what you actually did, or what the OS actually did, was unlock the root account. Then the next time, so because the root account is never supposed to be activated in the first place, it has no password. So the first time you do it, you enable the root account, which means that henceforth, you can become administrator, or in fact, more powerful administrator, yeah. you can become root. Like super user. Yeah, without a bloody password. Like, WT bleep bleep bleep. How? Now... Initially, I thought, great, Apple have responded really quickly, because literally, when it made the news, Apple fixed it really darn quick. Yeah, within a day and a half or two days. Yeah, and not only did they fix it, they auto-pushed the update, which is only the second time in the history of that feature existing in macOS, which has been there for about five years now. The last time was a nasty bug to do with NTP that they pushed automatically. So they actually pushed this update to everyone. Which is a good thing, because this is exactly the kind of update that should get pushed to everyone. I mean, you you keep your powder dry on that kind of a feature, but this is one of the times you use it. And I initially was going to be bemused, but complimentary. As in, okay, that's a weird bug to have snuck through, but at least you dealt with it well. Turns out, there were posts about this in the Apple News forums weeks ago. So no, they didn't respond quickly. It was just a mess. So they have responded by saying that they're going to do a better job of auditing their code. Yes, please. And is that the uh, is that the horse that's leaving that barn door you left open? Yeah. Or is that the horse on the horizon? And is that the barn door behind me? So I, I guess it's pretty clear how I feel about this. How, how do you guys feel about this? Well, I can't believe that that actually got through. That it's like you're saying there are certain things that you know maybe things weren't regression tested properly, but that one is ludicrous. And to say you'll change your procedures, Apple should be at a level where they don't need to even think about changing their procedures. That's a given that you should have a procedure for checking stuff like that. So I take your point that yes, if if they had dealt with it really really quickly, but that was so serious it should never have been there in the first place. Yeah, and well, yeah, it should. Ne- and the weirdest thing was, though, Bart, mm. actually, um, in order to to make it work, if you enter root and no password and hit enter, it will shake its head at you. Right. You have to then hit return again, and then it will, it, right, the, it will actually okay, authenticate. But the first time it, it shook its head, it enabled the account but didn't log you in. And then the oh, second yes. time it logs you yeah. in. So the re- there was yeah. a bit of confusion so, first because people didn't understand that there the were basically – to, is, is the bug had actually worked the first time, but you weren't logged in yet, so he didn't see that it had worked. So it was yeah. initially very confusing, because initially I was really confused by this bug. Now I'm less confused, just more aghast. Yeah, and but how the hell it got through is absolutely, like, indescribably, like, what? Now, yeah. they, pushed out this, they pushed out this update, um, but apparently, if you hadn't already... Um, upgraded to the latest version of High Sierra, uh, was it 10.13.1? So if you were on 10.13 mm. and you apply the patch and then you update, the bug comes back. Oh, 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 right. So, oh, that's... Right, okay. Well, I would say to you, if you are not running the latest version of software, 
shame on you. But that is well, still a yeah, weird one. Bah. That is still a very weird one. So I, I guess they need to it, update their patch as well. Yeah. So if you if you apply the patch and then you update to 13.1, you need to reapply the patch. And some people are saying that that will break your file sharing. Just to make it even more embarrassing. Well, Apple have a support announcement. One is the latest version, right? Yeah, and this bug was introduced with High Sierra because this bug does not exist in Sierra or previous. So something they changed in High Sierra introduced this weirdo bug. And just on that file sharing thing, there are people experiencing broken file sharing. Apple have acknowledged that, and there are there's a link in the show notes to Apple's official documentation. It's just one terminal command to get your file sharing back in order. It just resets some permissions on some stuff. Well, why when they when they pushed out this update, why didn't they also include that with the update to thirteen one? I would imagine because they raced within twenty four hours to get an update out. So the chances well, are there'll that, be a thirteen one zero one. I would imagine that within the next few days there'll be an update to the thirteen one updater to address <laughs> this shortcoming. It won't be the first time they've updated an update. Um, they've done that a few no, times. No, it won't. Um, uh, usually it's because their update point. accidentally bricks something that they have to update the update. Well, I mean, if you really uh, look at it, thir- uh, Mac OS ten dot thirteen by itself is an update. So this is more like an update to an update to an update. <laughs> well, yeah, their versioning numbers kind of got a bit stuck because that 10 on the front <laughs> probably shouldn't be there anymore, right? No, no. Not with honestly with with High Sierra, they sh- they should have gone, you know, you almost hate to say this for audio people. They should have gone to 11, man. Or yeah, or just given or just drop the first number done like Sun did with Solaris and just pretend the first number doesn't exist. Solaris had the same problem. They were technically Sonos, I think, four point whatever, point whatever. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, any, anyone else have any any thoughts on, on this? I guess, despite... Uh, yeah. It's a bad no, thing. A... <laughs> yeah. I sense agreement from the panel. Um... <laughs> I think some... Just, just imagine, though, somebody somewhere at Apple, when this got announced, went very, very white... <laughs> and uh, announced yeah. that they might be needing to take a holiday. <laughs> or take, or take a okay. holiday prior to it becoming such so well known. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be in the uh, well. Uh, what was the islands where Apple moved their stuff to? I'll be in Jersey with your. I'm off to, yeah, going to Jersey, <laughs> yeah. not New Jersey, Jersey. Yeah, the original Jersey. I presume that's actually the one New Jersey's named after, since the British named all the stuff that like New York is named after York in the UK. So I presume New Jersey is actually named after that little tax haven of an island in the British Channel. Oh, I would assume so. Yes. Yeah. Interestingly, in relation to software updates, um, I actually only came across this patch to Sierra, uh, High Sierra, because I'd installed High Sierra. And the only reason I had actually installed High Sierra was I needed to purchase Pixelmator Pro. And I hadn't done the High Sierra update at all because I'm long past thinking it's a good idea, even for two or three months after something's released. And I was the kind of person that had it installed at six o'clock that night that it was released. It just shows you how far we've moved away from trusting Apple on an update. So I hadn't even done the High Sierra update, much less this update. The only reason was because I needed to buy Pixelmator Pro. 
Mm. I could go into the app store on Sierra and it's there and there's a buy button and I can click it. And then it tells me it can't purchase it. So I can't even purchase it without having High Sierra on at least one machine. So I put it on one machine. And the first thing it did was flash up this update about this problem. So just to prove the point, you know, it wasn't even just this update that concerned me. I was that concerned about Apple's processes and procedures for making something secure. I hadn't even updated from Sierra to High Sierra. Yeah, and on the Mac we still have the luxury of holding off for a bit. On iOS, it's a different kettle of fish because on iOS, if you want to be secure, you have to jump straight away. But the thing is, you iOS do. doesn't have a history of the same kind of problems. Maybe because actually it's such a lockdown OS, and iOS tends to go smoother, whereas the Mac, by its more open nature, has more ability to cause trouble. It is. could be. I think the other issue is that the, the software, the only way that you can legitimately get software on your iOS devices is through the App Store. Mm. Um, on, on a Mac, what I'm concerned about is, obviously, if I update, what will break? And I know I'm guaranteed something will break. I've got, admittedly, I, I tend to have more complicated software than a lot of people. So I've got broadcast software on there, video editing stuff. Something will break. Um, so I do hold off for that reason. But the interesting point to me was because I needed to buy a piece of software and I will need this piece of software on my main machine, it meant I had to either drop everything and update my main machine, which I just can't do. I cannot trust it without, you know, I would probably do more regression testing than Apple would do. I can't do that. So I'll update a secondary machine just to update a piece of software because it is that locked down. I can't even purchase it unless I've got that. That is Apple pushing you to upgrade, well, no, which sorry, is fine. No, that's not Apple. That's uh, the Pixel Mainer people have decided not to support older versions of Mac OS because obviously they're a brand new app. They want to use the latest, greatest shininess. That's actually Pixel Mainer doing that, not Apple. Well, yeah, true. But, you know, Apple are not behind the door at trying to edges forward shall i say oh, and that's yeah, fine if it's rock solid yeah. and you know back in the day when they introduced that things did tend to be fairly rock solid it was the exception that there was a problem but now the exception is everything's okay and that's that's really not okay apple need it's more than procedures it's an ethos it seems to be acceptable now that if something goes wrong this is what we'll do whereas originally and, and we're only talking what five six years ago mm. things tended to work it just worked, and now it doesn't. Well, I guess the the silver lining I can seek out is that there was a you know there was a time when Microsoft was terrible at this stuff, and then they got their act together, and now they're really good at this stuff. So maybe this is Apple's a low point, and it only gets better from here. The other, so. you know, the, the the more pessimistic view would be that we're on our way down, and we're nowhere near the bottom yet. But I'm going with this is the low point, and it'll only go uphill from here. And then I'm going to be proved wrong, and so be it. <laughs> Anyone else want to chime in before I move us on? No, I don't think so. Okay, think well it's, then. Uh, it's just enormous balls up, basically. And somebody will probably lose their job. They shouldn't. Um, in fact, that would set a really bad, that would actually be a really, really negative toxic culture. They absolutely shouldn't. This should be a teachable moment. This shouldn't be a firing moment. You don't build yeah. a good team by responding to problems by firing people. You build a good team by responding to problems by learning. Yeah, the issue quite, there is, quite. as you point out, team. It, you can't really blame one person for this. It may have been one oh. person who commented out the necessary line of code, but it should be a team effort to make sure it's a collaborative approach. So it does, if one person misses it, the next one doesn't. 
And the reality it, is, is human like human beings is spread across, you know, a team blame as well. Hmm. Yeah, like look, I am a programmer. Like I understand how this stuff works. Human beings write code and human beings will make mistakes. That is not a sign of a human being not doing their job right. That is just the nature of being a human being. That's We will make mistakes, which is why you need to have a team and why you need to have processes and why you need to have structures, which deal with the fact that you know there are mistakes in your code. It is a guarantee that there are mistakes in code written by human beings. And so you have to make your processes work around that reality. And so the person who made this mistake should not be scapegoated because that completely misses the point. There are always going to be mistakes. You need your process oh, yeah. to deal with that reality. I, I was not really being 100% serious when I said somebody's going to lose their job. I, you know, uh, the job I do, I work in pre-press and, you know, mistakes happen. They just do. And sometimes somebody has to get a dressing down, but nobody's going to get fired over it. We have to assess what's gone wrong and try and figure out how to prevent it happening again because mm-hmm. people are people are people, and we make mistakes. You're quite right, Bart, you know. So, I mean, it is an know. estimate I always say? tell my undergrads, and it's just an estimate, but it, there was a study done many moons ago which found that the average programmer makes a mistake in once, one in every nine lines of code. There are many, many lines of code in macOS. That is a lot of possibility. Oh, yes. Okay, so the third main story for the month that caught my eye is, again, it's one of these sort of meta stories. Many stories rolled into one. But last, last time this show met as a group was uh, as the iPhone X had just been released. And we predicted that the Face ID feature would come under great scrutiny... And we predicted that just like with Touch ID, there would be attempts made which would succeed to spoof Face ID. And I, we were clearly very precognizant because that's exactly what has happened. Um, <laughs> so there's been it's, – it's not a single story. So there's a whole big long mix. And there's links in the show notes to, two, to some particularly good stories about this. Um, iMore have been doing a great job of reporting this stuff. Um, the two stories in particular from them that are linked in the show notes. The limitations of Face ID, what you need to know, which is from earlier in the month, where they basically explained what Face ID is good at and what it's bad at. And, you know, so if you cover up too much of your face, although it does its darndest to, to, to be helpful, it can't deal with it. If you have the angle too far off, it can't deal with it. Like, it, it's not perfect. Uh, but then the probably the more insightful one is Face ID hasn't been hacked. What you need to know from iMore. Um, I guess just to run sort of through. So early in the month, sort of the first thing that happened was we had brothers who appeared to be fooling the iPhone. But what was actually going on there was that they were training their iPhone. So the iPhone is supposed to learn as you use Face ID. So basically it you pointed at your own face and it fails to unlock and then you enter your passcode and it goes, oh, I guess I need to learn that that was you after all. Well, imagine you're sitting next to your brother and you pointed at his face and then you enter your password. You have just told the iPhone he's me. And then you pointed at your own face and then you enter your password and you've just told the iPhone that I'm me as well. And you end up training the iPhone to a sort of an average of your two faces. And then, of course, it will work for both of your faces. So that's not a bug. That's you training the iPhone to do something and the iPhone, like a dog, learning to lay down and roll over. So that wasn't hacking face ID. So that was a non-story. But then some actual security people did succeed in spoofing rather than hacking face ID. 
through um, a mask, which they... So you start off with a 3D scan, and you build up a mask, and then if you arrange things very carefully, you can get in. And this is very much like the rubber fingers from a fingerprint lifted off a whiskey glass approach that was done against uh, Touch ID. This is not straightforward. This is extremely impractical in the actual real world. So this is like, I know that the locks on my house are not perfect. I also know that they're good enough. And therefore, I would say to people to keep some perspective here. Apple did not say that Face ID was perfect. Apple said that Face ID has a one, you know, one in a million chance of a false positive. That's not a one in infinity. That's one in a million. And so, yes, there, there are limitations. This, it is not perfect. Um, and that is to be expected. So my takeaway from this, from the whole month, is basically that Touch ID has been found to be extremely difficult and tedious to work around. And so what I see from the amount of effort it's taken to get around it is not that it's broken, but that it's more than good enough. Oh, I think I agree with that. That's exactly what we expected, really, isn't it? I think that's uh, what what you predicted, what uh, Mark and I pretty much uh, you know, had in mind. These, these things, nothing's unbreakable. And the the uh, thing you're saying about training it is is the same trick as the as the um, you know you can register both your thumbs at once on touch id so if you when you when it says put your uh, thumb on mm-hmm. if you go left thumb right thumb left thumb right thumb left thumb oh. right thumb it, it it only it only registers as one finger but you've actually it will then work with either of your thumbs i never because even thought of doing is, that that's genius but you but that teaches it a composite of your of your thumbprints. Now, obviously, of course, it's it's then you've reduced the security because you've halved or you know. But it, right. it's the same thing. If you do, you know, my face, my brother's face, my face, my brother's face, my face, my brother's face. You're doing the same thing, aren't you? You give it. You're teaching it a composite. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, and it's um, going to match an awful lot more stuff, of course, because you've given it such a broad pattern. Um, actually, the yeah. other thing I should have I, me- I meant to say in my little wrap roundup is that Apple had said that it would not work very well with close family members, and lo and behold, we have anecdotal evidence of exactly that. But one particular case got a lot of press with a mother and her son. They yeah. look shockingly like each other. I mean, their facial structure is identical, so I'm not particularly surprised. But Apple actually said this would happen, and lo and behold, it has happened. So this isn't so much news as confirmation of what we were told to expect. Yeah. Nothing 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 is undefeatable and and the whole thing you know with this uh what the Vietnamese team and their mask uh you know what that says to me is you and I and Guy and the man in the street does not need to worry about this. And the sort of people who probably do need to worry about that should not be relying on Face ID or even possibly an, an ordinary iPhone in the first place. You know, it's presidents and heads of mega corporations are the sort of people who might need to worry about that sort of thing. And they, so, they would probably have one of these black phones, these, you know, these phones specifically designed around being hyper secure. I mean, there are literally special exactly. Android phones for that purpose. Yes, there are. You know, if you're if you're in charge of the nuclear codes of a small country, then you probably should not be relying on Face ID to secure your secrets. <laughs> and, uh, that's probably the main point, right? I mean, 
all of in the real physical world we know this instinctively that what we're doing is we're balancing probabilities with convenience right why is my house less secure than fort knox because a it would cost me a bloody fortune to secure my house like fort knox and b it would be excruciatingly inconvenient so in the real world, yeah. we settle on a reasonable balance between safety and convenience. And somehow in the digital world, we seem to have this thing of if it's not perfect, it's useless. And that's not fair or yeah. realistic. If, it, or if it's not perfect, it's useless if it's Apple. There is perhaps also a bit of a double standard going on. I would the, the one thing in particular that gets me is people going, "We you know I, I use Microsoft's what do they call theirs again? It's, it's not Face ID. Hello, Microsoft. Hello, hello, hello. Microsoft. Hello. I use Microsoft's Hello, but I won't use Face ID because Face ID is insecure. It's like you do realize it's the same technology, right? And arguably, Apple yeah. technology is slightly better than what's going on with Hello. Yeah, but Microsoft are using infrared. Yep, so are Apple. Mm-hmm. City people, but again, that's the because what they're seeing in the media implies that there is this terrible difference, and it's it's not true and it's not accurate. It's, it's not a it's not a nuanced understanding of the world, and you kind of need that to make an informed decision about things. Indeed. Any other thoughts? I've noticed a pattern here. Well. Although we have a lot of news, it seems very uncontroversial. Usually people argue with me, but no one's arguing with me. So is that because the news is very straightforward or because because I've just argued really well? I don't know. No, it's just that, that I think we're all of the, of the same mind of, of most of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't take a doesn't take a rocket scientist to say, yeah, Apple, you know, you screwed up with that. And, you know, yeah, why are you worried about you know, face ID because it's reading two sets of twins when you trained it to do so. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, it's, you know, it's unfortunately, other than people who will listen to this show, the, the nuances of how this stuff is being reported is going to escape them. Um, before we move on, I just want to give a little shout out to um, listener of the show and friend of the show, Steve Sheridan, the husband of the wonderful Alison Sheridan, who managed to get a reply from Craig Federici. He sent an email to Craig basically asking if it will be possible in the future for Face ID to recognize multiple faces so that you could register your face and your spouse's face, for example. And he got back a very polite email from Craig basically saying... Thanks for your feedback. That's not going to happen straight away. And, you know, although you can do that with Touch ID, that was never actually our intention that people would do that. That's sort of people effectively hacking the system and, you know, in the in the good sense of the word hacking, not the evil sense of the word hacking. Um, so I, I think we shouldn't hold our breath for multiple face support in Face ID. Um, but well done to Steve for getting a reply. Um, and it was nice to see, to, you know, I was reading my RSS feed to gather together the show notes. And I was like, you know, Reddit user Stephen Sheridan. I was like, that can't be. So I immediately messaged Steve. I was like, is that you? And he was like, yeah, isn't that cool? I was like, yes, that is very cool. So if you're listening, Steve, well done. You know, he obviously asked the question in a way that caught Craig's eye and he gave you an answer. So cool. And then the last thing I'll just yep. say is Apple... A trend has been Apple used to be really secretive about the research that happens within Apple, but they've actually created their own uh, journal for some of the machine learning stuff, the Apple Machine Learning Journal. And they published a paper to that journal describing how they use neural networks for face recognition. So 
that's basically outlining to the public a whole bunch of the stuff that makes Face ID work. And not just to the public, to the scientific communities. This is actually a scientific paper mm. on the scientific work they've done. So it's not it's not bedtime reading. Um, but I think it's fantastic <laughs> that Apple are being open enough about this kind of stuff to release that kind of stuff to their machine learning journals. So more details linked in show notes for anyone who wants to do a deep dive into the really cool computer science that makes Face ID go. Yeah, and um, on a related note to that, they they are obviously moving down that road because they uh, some of their autonomous vehicle guys published a paper about how they uh, were improving the results of LiDAR mm. um, and allowing it to uh, pick up pedestrians and cyclists using yeah. only LiDAR because normally LiDAR is not considered good enough on its own. It has to have a, a camera or another another type of sensor. You've made that sound a lot more interesting than the title of the paper made that sound. The title of that particular paper (laughs) is Volnet, End-to-End Learning for Point Cloud-Based 3D Object Detection, which was published in the journal Arvix, or or Arexiv, or A-R-X-I-V, however you want to pronounce that. I'm I'm not really going (laughs) to have a go. But again, that was a, no. that's even better because that's not an internal Apple journal. That's an actual scientific journal run by other people that Apple have chosen to publish in. So that's particularly good for those Apple scientists to be able to publish and to be with a private corporation. It's a lot of corporations wouldn't allow you to do that. So you're dead right. It's again a sign of a limited openness that's nonetheless nice to see, in my humble opinion. Well, I I heard from people who probably know more about these things than I do, mm-hmm. that part of the reason that the new, uh, you know, somewhat more open Apple uh, have allowed some of their researchers to start publishing uh, their work is, is simply because if you want the top people, you have to let them publish. And I, I think there was an, an implication that some people that they wanted have may have said, well, I'm not going to come and work for you if I'm not allowed to, uh, you know, disseminate my discoveries. Well, I I work in academia, and I can tell you there is a maxim in academia, publish or perish. The pressure is extremely real. If you want the best scientists in the world, you better let them publish or they're not coming to you, unless they're about to retire or something, in which case they don't care about their career anymore. But if you want up-and-coming young people from academia in your corporation, you have to let them publish. And I think that's part of it. And uh, as you know, Apple, they they did make quite a big thing about it. I think I remember them making an announcement saying that you know their their research teams were going to be allowed to publish papers for peer review. So you know that's a good thing. I think that's a very good thing. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and yeah, they did make a big deal about it, and I think rightly so, because it was a huge change in corporate culture. Yes, very much so. Okay, any final thoughts on Face ID before we move off it? Um, actually, before we do that, who on the panel has one of these uh, iPhone Xs? Because I, I don't. Um, no, I'm, still on, have... I'm still on a 6 Plus. Ah, snap. That's what I'm on. No, wait, I'm, I'm on a 6 plus. Plus. I'm on a... Anyway, I don't like the plus size, sorry. Uh, no, I'm on a seven. 
Seven plus for me. Seven plus a seven, and I'm on a six S. So although we have covered many different models of iPhone across the panel here, what we do not have is an iPhone ten. So okay, that that sort of rules out my next question. So how are you finding it in your life? Because all of us are left going, <laughs> I wish I had it. I actually don't. Um, that was one. You know, the two iPhones were announced, and I had a look at them, and I thought, well, I wouldn't go for the eight because there is the ten, and the Face ID just really didn't appeal. So even though I, I could have been tempted to upgrade, the Face ID just did not appeal. I, it would have been better for me if you'd have had the choice between Face ID and the um, Touch ID. Then I would have left it at Touch ID. So actually, it, it had the, the opposite effect for me. That's it. Okay, so Guy, if you were to go out and buy a phone today, would, would Face ID be something that influenced your decision? No, it would not. Um, touch ID also for me is... is perfectly fine uh i mean if if i had an iphone 10 and it had face id i would i would use it but it wouldn't be one of the reasons why i would get one okay um simon if you were going out if if Uh, i gave you infinite money and told you to go buy an iphone (laughs) would you go for the 10 or the 8 i'd probably go for an 8 plus to be honest um my wife uh recently you know it was her turn to upgrade and she we looked uh, I mean, to be honest, we probably couldn't really afford a 10, but we looked at the difference. And in the end, other than the Face ID and the, um, you know, the OLED screen, there didn't seem to be a lot technologically. So she opted to go for an 8. Um, and I think if I did, I'd probably go for either an 8 or an 8+. plus. Interesting. OK. I guess speaking for myself... If in reality, I am on, I am probably I'm due an upgrade soon, um, and I'm probably going to buy an eight. But I'll be honest, that is a financial decision rather than a technology decision. If I were to be magically offered as much money as I'd like, I actually would go for the ten, and I would the Face ID would be a big deal because. The magic to me is the continuous identification, the fact that you just look at your phone and then it can reveal the content of messages on your lock screen because it knows it's you looking. That kind of stuff really, really appeals to me. So I would, if money were no object, I would get Face ID and I would use it and I would use it very happily knowing the fact that it is not perfect security but that it is a really nice balance between convenience and really good security. Um, and I guess my thinking is, well, I'm not going to get it this time, but the next time I upgrade, two years from now, I'm sure it'll be in the base model phone, and then I won't have to <laughs> I, give out money. That is also part of my... Uh, I mean, next year will be my turn to yes. upgrade, because uh, my contract will come to an end. Um, and I'm suspecting that next year's phones will all be, uh, you know, 10-ish, yeah. as it were. And that, that, that the you know I'm pretty sure that the eight is the last of the line of the uh, touch ID, you know, yeah, of well, the touch the, ID LCD type phones. I don't know about that. I think it might be the second last because I think the next iPhone SE iteration will probably have the form factor. It will probably still be touch ID based. Yeah, that would make sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, that would make sense. But I, I, I I'm not dismissing the SE. But uh, it's not a flagship. I don't know. Right? That's a, no, it, it's kind of. Um, I tend to forget about it, to be honest. Um, it's a marmite phone. Not because phone. it's not a good phone. It's, it's a marmite uh, phone. There are I, people who adore that thing like you would not believe, and I just couldn't care about it less. If you, if you, if you, if, you, if I try. Uh, I, 
I can see why they make it, and I can see why a lot of people would really, really like it um, if you're not particularly worried about the screen size. But no, I spend no, so much people time... People are really on... worried about the screen size, but not because they want big, because they want small. No, they want small. But I I'm spend so much time on my phone um, that I, I couldn't go back to a small phone. It, you know, I'm, you I've avoided getting yeah. a plus... Yeah, I mean, I've avoided getting a plus for several iterations <laughs> because I because of either the cost or I've gone and looked at it and thought, no, that's just too big. But um, my daughter has recently um, got a seven plus, mm-hmm. and now I'm looking at it and thinking, is it really that big? <laughs> is you it know really so happen, much right? bigger? If you go plus, you're never going to be able to buy a smaller phone ever again. Is, is the problem, and you just don't want to go plus yeah. because then you're stuck. <laughs> that's that, that's part of it. I think I think that is part of it. But yeah, and I know that the plus is just going to cost me more money, and then I'll cry. <laughs> Which we wouldn't watch. That'd be terrible. Well, no, 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 no. Um. Someone asked for some good news. So the fourth story is the first time in our, four, in, our, in fact, in the entire show so far where it's been good news because, yeah, there's just been no good news so far. So finally, main story four out of four, Apple continues their push into health. So all, so these three stories all happened this month. So first off, there was a study uh, by health startup Cardiogram and along with the University of California, San Francisco, or UCSF, for those of you in the know. And these guys had done a previous uh, research on the Apple Watch, and they had found that the Apple Watch could detect an abnormal heart rhythm with an accuracy of 97%, which is a darn amazing finding. But they've continued their work, and they've now released results on uh, two other conditions. And the results are not quite as high as 97%, but they can detect hypertension with an accuracy of 82%. Which is no bad thing because hypertension goes undiagnosed in a lot of people for many, many years until something nasty happens, like you have a brain hemorrhage or something. So the fact if you're detecting four out of five cases of hypertension in advance can only be a good thing. And then the other one, which is also highly undiagnosed and causes an awful lot of suffering needlessly, is sleep apnea. And they're saying they can detect sleep apnea with an accuracy of 90% which is, again, 9 out of 10 cases of sleep apnea they would pick up from studying the data from Apple Watches. So that, to me, is very exciting. And as a sufferer of sleep apnea and hypertension in the past, basically, I had three years where my health was in bits and I had no idea why. And it turned out afterwards that I actually had sleep apnea and that was causing all my other health problems. If my watch had just told me that, that would have saved me quite a lot of bother. Um, Uh, Yes, you know, I, I like the fact that we're getting to a future with these kind of diagnoses. I mean, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to tell you to go to a doctor who can then do the proper testing. I mean, you're not looking for 100% yeah. from the watch. What you're looking for is for a lot of people to get the hint that maybe you should go see your doctor. So that's the first story yeah. that broke. Um, then, So that's not strictly Apple-related. Apple didn't do that. They just made the product. But then what Apple did do is they teamed up with Stanford University to launch a large-scale study into heart rhythms. So again, that's what was found to be detectable 97% accuracy by the other crowd. So they've set up a great big study. If you're in the US, there is a link in the show notes to how you can sign up to join this study. 
And then also this month, the FDA have approved the first specialist health-based Apple Watch band, which is an EKG band. So this, you basically, you click this band into the Apple Watch and it acts as an EKG and starts collecting electro something cephalogram data and sending it back to the watch, which is just amazing. And we've, I guess we've sort of been waiting for those bands to get some brains. And here we have one as a medical device approved by the FDA. So there are three obviously related pieces of news that I would definitely put in the good news bracket. So I'm obviously excited. So how, how do you guys feel? Well, um, the, the first one, the, the detecting hypertension and uh, sleep apnea, it's, I think that's excellent, brilliant. Um, my wife suffers from sleep apnea, and uh, I was pretty sure that she had sleep apnea for quite a long time. Mm. Uh, and I had to keep badgering the doctor uh, until the doctor finally referred her to the hospital. And when she got to see the, you know, the doctor who deals with sleep apnea, he said to me, describe her symptoms. And I said, well, basically, she does this and that. And he goes, oh, there, that's sleep apnea. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and so, you know, three years of misery uh, solved by finally getting to see a, a sleep consultant who just yeah. went, yeah, you need you need help. You've got sleep apnea. And of course, that doesn't only help her sleep better it brings a lot of other benefits it helps with her depression you know it does it does a lot of things because if you're not sleeping properly you suffer yeah I, a lot. I'll, I'll attest to that so, because so basically i had three years of ill health and at the end of it i finally got booked into a sleep study and i found out that i was not i was stopping breathing 20 times an hour yep not a bit of yep. wonder my blood oh, pressure yes. was through the roof and i was feeling like absolute poop I just wasn't yep. sleeping. I wasn't getting any rest. I'd wake up completely knackered. And it's because I was being woken 20 times an hour while I was supposedly sleeping. And it's very easy to fix yeah. or to, it's very easy to treat sleep apnea. Yeah. You just get a CPAP machine and hey, presto. I'm a yeah. whole new person yeah. thanks to that. I mean, I, the one I have is is huge, but uh, I'm I'm hopefully going to trade that in, number one, for a smaller mask mm. and for one that's a little more portable. Right. Yeah, I still have a giant big one, and I'm fine with it because I don't do much traveling around. Um, and I'm yeah. also hoping now that I have, with the help of the Apple Watch, lost quite a lot of weight. I'm actually booked in for another sleep study, and I'm hopeful that they will find that I have cured my sleep apnea by losing weight. But touch, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. No promises there. I may have the sleep apnea for life. It may just be a thing I have. But as I say, once I, once it was discovered what I had, it completely changed my life 100% for the better. So, yep. yeah, the, the thoughts of people's watches doing this. And I guess the one that isn't mentioned here that everyone keeps rumoring is on the way is blood sugar measurement without having to stab yourself. If they can make yeah, that I'll... happen, that will be such a big deal. Oh, if, if they if they can if they can nail that and get approval for it, that mm. is going to just be, well, miraculous, isn't it? Not only for people who obviously have to do that because they suffer from diabetes and they won't have to keep sticking their finger with a sharp pin, but also if it can do blood sugar monitoring, you know, it's probably going to diagnose quite a lot of people who may be borderline and say, mm. again, as you say, it doesn't actually have to diagnose it. It just has to say something here doesn't seem right. Perhaps you should go and see a doctor, you know. Um, so, and and the and the other one, of course, is, yes, we've got this EKG band, which I thought was wonderful. All these things are going to be, well, they're just going to be so make so many people's lives so much better for 
you know what is what the effort of putting a watch on it's uh, yeah. it's magical you know it is really quite magical um that wearing your watch can tell you you might have hypertension or you know i'm assuming it can probably quite possibly with a bit of effort be made to detect if you have whatever the hypotension i suppose low blood low blood pressure whatever uh, you know and it's just it's just wonderful i think it's amazing and brilliant and uh the more the merrier really one yeah. thing that struck me was if you're going to have it doing all of this, they need to maybe address the battery life because the the point that it's saying overnight is when I actually take mine off and leave it on charge. Yeah, that is the, like the battery is a lot better. So I, I had an original Apple Watch and I now have a Series 2 and the Series 2 is much better. But I need the same level of improvement one more time, please. Mm. And then it'll probably That's what I'm thinking. I, I use mine for health. And by the end of the day, I mean, I do do a lot of exercise, but you're probably looking at maybe having 20% left. So I could possibly get a few hours out of it overnight. If I, if I had another way to charge it during the day as well, because obviously to charge it, you really have to take it off. So maybe give you a little bit of an alternative or a fast charger, well, because it would the become then your lifeline. My thinking would be the ideal world is that it would charge really quickly. So while I'm in the shower, I could charge it then because it's going to have yeah. to take it off anyway. And so if it could pick up its full charge between getting up and leaving the house in the morning, so that sort of half hour, 45 minutes, if it could somehow pull an entire day's worth of charge into itself in that gap, mm. then I could wear it overnight. But right now it comes off last thing before I go to bed and gets put on first thing in the morning. But if it could charge quicker... That's exactly what I do, but I'm thinking in terms of I've got um, an iPad Pro, a 12.9-inch, mm. and the charger that came with that is more high-powered than other iOS devices. Yes. But it would still take quite a long time to charge. But if I plug it into this 60-watt block that I've got, fully charged in about an hour and a half. So maybe they, they can do something with the charger to make it just a little bit faster. That That would be a huge difference. Yeah, and that's halfway to where we need to be, right? If it can do a full charge in an hour and a half, if they could get it to half that, we could do a full charge in 45 minutes, they'd be on to a winner. Mm. No, the point I was making was it was an iPod, I was uh, an iPad mm. I was talking about. Sure. You know, that would normally on a normal charger, you're looking at at least eight hours. If you can get that down that fast, you know, I, what I really need to do is try plugging my watch charger into that block and see if it's any faster. You've obviously got to be quite careful with the electronics, but... Maybe it might be a little bit faster. I think there's definitely wiggle room there. You know, and if Apple are going to add all this capability to it, it's going to be critical that you actually wear it overnight. More important than during the day, to be honest. Yeah, actually, for well, especially for sleep apnea, right? You, unless you're, you have sleep apnea so bad that you're falling asleep during the day, um, it's very unlikely <laughs> to detect sleep apnea while it's on my nightstand. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, actually... I guess know, if it was using um, the microphone to listen to when I don't breathe... Yeah, actually, yeah, you could yeah, uh, just talk myself into that. That's I actually mean, entirely um, plausible. I mean, my my colleague uh, studied his own sleep using his iPhone with a simple app, which simply yeah listened to him. You put the phone on the you know bedside cabinet, and then it listens to him during the night and gives him a report of you know how well it thinks he slept based on how much noise he's made. So it would not be impossible to have a. That's true. Because most people who have most people who have sleep apnea snore and then they stop. 
because the airways become occluded. So actually, something that simply listened and said, well, you snore and then you stop and then you start again and then you stop, that is highly likely to indicate you might have sleep apnea. Perhaps you should see a doc. Fair point. There yeah. you go. So just... uh, we, we've been too quick to ridicule, it would appear. <laughs> yeah, possibly. But anyway, that's... Uh... But yeah, I don't think anyone I, that, is ever going to argue that a that any piece of tech, iPhone, iPad, MacBook, we all want more battery. That is, as much better as batteries brain. are than where they were 20 years ago, we all want better battery. We are nowhere near good enough. We're at good enough, but we're nowhere near where we want to be, right? No, that's, we all want infinite battery for free. Or really Out quick charging. I'll accept really quick yes, charging over infinite battery life, but I don't. My devices spend too much time with the cable shoved up their bottom. Not, not good enough. Yes, yes. No, that's. Uh, <laughs> we need one that you know simply draws power from the. I don't know from the atmosphere yeah. somehow. Radiation. Yeah. Well, solar power oh, is is drawing power from the air in a certain way, right? It is yeah, right. I don't think I've, you could make solar panels that would be very efficient. That small, not for a not for a watch. Well, for a watch, kinetic power has the potential. I mean, there are there exist mechanical watches that charge kinetically, just by the, oh, yeah. by your, the swinging of your arm that actually charges the devices. I have a friend who has a kinetic powered watch that hasn't needed a charge since he bought it eight years ago. I've got one like that. It does work very well. It would have to be a much bigger watch, though. Not uh, much bigger. Well, well, I mean, yeah, to fit in all the electronics and the battery. Yeah, okay. Right, because, I mean, you look at the size of it now, Apple wouldn't make a kinetically powered watch that was less capable than the watch that you currently have. Yeah. So unless they can take the electronics and make it even smaller, then... To make room, yeah. To make room for something that's going to kinetically charge it. Yeah, I mean, we are sort of, we're just telling Apple, yeah, I mean, it's straightforward, Apple, just just make a better battery, just That's make right. a quicker charger. I mean, how hard can it be, you know? Exactly. All, <laughs> let's, listen, all we want is magic, okay? That, that's all we're asking for here. Yes. Yeah, precisely. And arguably, right, we now have a device on our wrist that is more powerful, that has better, better battery life than the first iPhone, and the first iPhone was already magical. So, it, I mean, they've kind of, it's pretty darn magical as it is. But yeah, well, we still yeah. want better. <laughs> The, prop, the problem is, Bart, is that the bar for magic keeps getting pushed farther and farther away. It's true, yes, because it becomes normal damn quick, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, you, you think back to the original original Macintosh with, with the GUI interface. People were like, oh, my God, that is so amazing. And now it's like, what, it, it doesn't have a GUI interface? Why would anybody use such a piece of crap? Yeah. <laughs> no, fair point. All right. And any... you've got an animated you. Oh, could you possibly need? Well, I, I, I still want somebody to come up with a way for our gadgets to um, generate some power from the huge EF soup which we live in, because obviously our planet is completely swamped in EF and RF signals. If we could have something in our devices which could at least draw some power from that, I'm not saying power itself 100%, but that would extend your battery life quite a lot, wouldn't it? If it, it just wouldn't picked actually, up, you know, because if you do the mathematics on it, I'm afraid there's extremely few watts. What we would need for that would be way, way, way more power efficient devices to be able to use that little power to do something of value. Basically, there's only so much <laughs> energy there to be to be harvested, so. That is, it, it's I not just, impossible. I, I mean, can dream. 
You can dream. And at some stage in the future, right, if we get to the point, because all of these things are moving, all of these axes are moving, our batteries are getting more efficient, our electronics are getting, they're using less power all the time, and our charging is getting better. So all three of those things are happening at the same time. So over time, those three things moving forward are going to make things better. Unfortunately, we are also adding more features all the time, which tends to cancel out the other two things. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, as fast, as fast as we get better power, we use it up. Yeah, which because is good, right? I mean, how... why do these devices do so much? It's because the batteries are actually way better than they used to be, but we don't see them as better batteries. We see them as better devices. That is, yes, precisely. I think that sums it up completely. Okay, unless someone has something else health-related to throw in, I'm going to move us on to a few final quick stories before we call it a day. Um Okay, I'm going to run through these pretty quickly. So, uh, sad news, Apple have officially delayed the home pa- the home pod until quote unquote early 2018. So make of that what you will. Meh. I'm not going to lose sleep <laughs> over it. It's a pity to miss a deadline, but meh. Uh, yeah. Apple have improved their customer support. We now have an official Apple YouTube channel and we have an updated version of the Apple support app with a new redesigned UI, search feature and a discover section. Apple have extended free repairs for the anti-reflective coating on a whole bunch of MacBook models. Details in show notes. Apple continue their drive to teach coding to as many people as possible. Their Everyone Can Code program is being expanded to 20 more universities around the world. And they have also opened registration for their free Hour of Code classes for kids. Again, details in show notes. Uh, We've already mentioned that Apple scientists have published their research, so we'll leave that there. Um, An interesting story is that two major repositories in Cydia have shut down their uh, their feeds because there is a massive decline in the amount of jailbreaking, which I think is probably a reflection on the quality of iOS because people aren't feeling the need to massively reduce their security and increase their inconvenience uh, to get very little. So that's kind of interesting that jailbreaking seems to be winding down. Uh, Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon uh, are making a program of some sort, which Apple have apparently won the competition for the rights for. I guess we'll know more later. And finally, Microsoft have announced that the Edge browser is coming to iOS. So if you are a Windows user and you would like to be able to resume the browsing you are doing on your phone when you get back to your Windows PC, then you will want to install Edge on iOS because it will indeed let you do that kind of thing. So those were the quick stories. Anyone want to chime in with any response to any one of those before we wrap up the show? Be handy that they've no, got those twelve-year-olds in for programming, won't it? Yeah. They'll <laughs> I be think able to some new procedures. You're, you're, hoping, you're hoping they'll fix macOS while they're in there. Exactly. Why not? Which <laughs> pair of eyes and all that? Maybe that's why macOS is in trouble because it was written by the twelve-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, Apple has support in YouTube. I mean, that, that's that's like uh, amazing for for uh, two thousand and eight. <laughs> well, it's amazing <laughs> given the history of between Apple and Google. That's again a sign of Steve Jobs's influence waning, or in this case, Steve Jobs's prejudices expiring. Because yeah, Steve's hatred of Google became a bit irrational by the end, I think. It almost became harm. Well, no, it not almost. It actually became harmful to Apple users. 
Okay, folks, thank you ever so much for giving so freely of your time. It was great fun chatting to you all. Um, before I let you all give out your plugs, I just want to remind listeners that there are show notes available at lets-talk.ie. I've referenced them a few times during the show, but they're they're quite a bit more detailed. Basically, all of the stories that have informed my thinking throughout the month are gathered together in an organized fashion in these show notes. Um, so you'll find them at lets-talk.ie. What you'll also find there is a collection of large blue buttons under the heading Support the Show. Uh, I want to say a big thank you to everyone who has supported the show in the past and who continues to support it now. Uh, whether you are, whether you have made a PayPal donation, thank you very much. Whether you have simply told a friend about the show, left us a review on iTunes, a review on whatever podcast you're using, that is all greatly appreciated and all of great value. Uh, but I want to reserve an extra special thank you for the Patreon supporters because really, you guys, you are the reason the podcast can exist. So the way Patreon works is that you pledge a small dollar amount for every episode released. There are exactly two episodes released a month, one Apple, one photography. And so if you want to pledge me $5 a month, we'll then pledge two fifty per episode and that will work out at a five or a month to get the idea. And because that's regular income and I have regular bills... That combination is workable, um, whereas, you know, without that combination, things are not so workable. Uh, so you guys really are what make it possible for me to keep doing this show and also to have the luxury of being ad-free. I, I have a personal sort of thing where I like not being beholden to any advertiser because usually advertisers want relevant audiences and a relevant audience is the kind of audience who is exactly the people I don't want to be... Basically, if, if you're the kind of person who's interested in the product, I don't want to advertise for you because I need to be able to talk freely about that product because it's relevant to the audience, if you get what I'm trying to say. So I'm, I'm, it is Patreon that makes it possible for me to have the luxury of not having to censor myself because I have an advertiser. And that is, I'm very lucky and I really appreciate it, is what I'm trying to say. Panelists, thank you very much. Uh, you donate of your time freely and I really appreciate it. So... I'll go in reverse order if I can remember the order I went in last time. Uh, Guy, would you like to tell the good listeners where they can uh, get more stuff from yourself and or Gaz or whatever? Yeah, if you're interested in, in more of the uh, the crazy stuff that uh, Gaz and I put out on a regular basis, all you have to do is go on over, falling into DJ voice, and uh, go to MyMac.com. Look that up on iTunes, and you'll find the MyMac.com podcast every single week since 2004. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, Simon? Uh, yes, uh, I am, of course, on the Essential Apple podcast, and you can uh, find me and Mark and our stuff over at EssentialApple.com. And uh, if people want to follow me, uh, I do sometimes post political stuff. Uh, but I'm at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Thank you very much. Um, I should say that uh, Essential Apple and the MyMac Podcast and Let's Talk Apple are all members of the uh, MyMac Podcast Network. So a bit of, a, bit of an incestuous <coughs> sorry, sorry. show this, this time around, actually. Uh, but no, it's good, right? So we're all part of the one big MyMac family. And we should say that actually, you know, the, without MyMac, this show definitely wouldn't exist. Uh, so, you know, we've got to say a big thank to Tim for, for keeping that show on the air. And... Uh, Robertson, yeah. not Cook. Yes, yes, we should. 
Well, big thanks, thanks to Tim Cook too, I guess. Without Apple, there isn't really much of a, of a you know a MyMac or of a Let's Talk Apple. But yes, Tim Robertson, who keeps the MyMac uh, website, which has lots of cool articles and reviews and things in it, and also a large family of podcasts ranging from gaming podcasts to our Apple based podcasts, it's, you know, to my photography podcast. There's a nice range of podcasts there. Um, so that's at mymac.com. Uh, so with all that said, Elaine, do you want to? Uh, would you like to let the listeners know where they can hear more of your great content? Yep, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Elaine Giles, is my name there. Also, my blog, ElaineGiles.co.uk, and you can hear me on the MacBytes podcast at MacBytes.co.uk. Excellent. Thank you very much. That sound like it's part of my Mac. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. We're independent. <laughs> That's why I got the MyMac plug in before I asked Elaine to give her plugs. We have no adverts and we're completely independent. Excellent. Okay, folks, thank you very much. I've been your host, Bart Bouchot. So you can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. This is Mark Chappell of the Essential Mac and the Rampant Mumblings podcast. And this is Carl Madden of the Mac and Forth Show podcast. You know what, Carl? No, nope, never met him. But it's funny how many people ask. No, no, no. I mean, you know what we should do? Get better writers? Well, that goes without saying. No, I think we should merge. Excuse me? Rampant Mumblings, Essential Mac, Mac and Forth should merge. Sounds messy. No, no, no. It'll be good. We can still have all the incisive news, views and opinions of Rampant Mumblings and Essential Mac along with, well, whatever Mac and Forth has to offer. Hmm. And what should we call this new monster? Uh, I mean venture. Well, it's still essentially an Apple-related show, so why not... How do you like those apples? Catchy, but does it essentially sum up what an apple show should be about? All right, how about get your apples here, an apple a day, chatty apple, happy pie, oh, oh, just apple. No, we essentially need something that is more apple related. Monkey tennis. Huh? No, no, no. We just need something essentially apple that lets people know we will essentially be discussing apple related things. You knuckleheads. Just call your new podcast the Essential Apple Podcast for when people have essentially run out of good podcasts to listen to. Should have gone with monkey tennis. Five, four, three, two, one. And we are go. Go, wait, go where? The commercial guy. We're recording a commercial for the MyMac.com podcast. Ah, so we're recording the podcast now. Well, no, not now. At the moment, we're recording this commercial. So when do we go? Go where? I don't know. You started this whole go thing. The G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. We have no idea what we'll say next.